As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Edgewater Sports Park, just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, will play host to the Dick Winley Memorial Race Weekend starting Thursday evening, August the 20th, with a test and tune and big money bracket racing on Friday through Sunday. Stay tuned for details on what is shaping up to be an incredible event. All right, just a quick word about the new ThisIsBracketRacing.com driver series. If you listen to Last week's episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, uh, you heard Ashley Thompson come on with us and uh, kind of unveil this new series that, uh, at least for 2020, we're rolling out in a, in a very trial format. It will be contested at Muncie Dragway in Muncie, Indiana, Beach Bend Raceway Park in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Mid-Michigan Motorplex, Stanton, Michigan, National Trail Raceway in Columbus, Ohio, Bremerton Raceway in Bremerton, Washington. If you regularly compete at one of those five facilities or simply live within reasonable distance of one of those five facilities, you're going to want to check this out. We are going to crown a quote-unquote national champion uh, from race, among racers at those five facilities, and the winning racer will not have to leave his or her home track. Uh, we're guaranteeing $2,500 to the champion in both box and no box, and that purse could escalate uh, with involvement. It's going to be really cool. We're going to keep up with the results here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, and uh, just judging by the feedback that we have gotten to this point, uh, this is something that we're going to grow monumentally uh, in 2021 and beyond. Regardless, particularly if you want to follow along and or and 
or are interested in uh, being a part of this year's driver series, learn more about it at thisisbracketracing.com slash driver series. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... Johnny Bracket Racer and Cole Castile. More on coming. Two legends. We've got a big show for you today. Uh, we'll start it off with a brief, relatively quick run-through of some recent results, standout performances across the country. And then we're going to go into basically our, our big ten, the, the ten biggest stories that we feel like we will be talking about from now until the end of 2020. And we go a, a variety of different directions with this. We have a little bit of fun with it. We get a little bit deep with it at times. Uh, we, 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 we span the, span the, the, the I'm not, I don't, I'm coming up short on the word there. <laughs> stuff, all right. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun listen. It's going to be a good listen. We had intentions. I think we said at one point during the show that we were going to close out with uh, one of our top fives. And we've actually got a really good topic for it. But um, if you've listened to the show for long, you know that we can get a little bit long-winded occasionally. Really? And uh, we did that today. So it's poor planning on our part. We will come back around with this top five. It will be worth listening to, uh, but that's an episode or two down the road. Big hey. Before we get into it, some big news on your front. You, uh, you, you saw the last wind light come on over the weekend. Yeah, you know, just a local race here at uh, one of my local tracks that I go to, I-22 Motorsports Park. But uh, anytime you, you win, Luke, it feels good. You, you certainly, uh, the purses don't match what uh, what's happening on the big stage, but you're just happy to, to collect that check and go home with a win light. But um, while that was fun, exciting, and, and everything that I had hoped it would be when I showed up at the track, it paled in comparison to what I really got to to participate in and witness um, Saturday night. And that was, as you know, uh, JJ competing in his first official real race scene race. Um, he raced my pickup. I, I drive a, a crew cab 1500 Chevrolet pickup to work. And um, that is going to be his truck when he turns 16. And uh, he's not quite there yet, as you know, but he did get to compete for the first time. And um, I-22, so we've been testing quite a bit here at Laster Mountain at my local track that's right here by the house that you're familiar. And um, I-22 is about an hour away. And when we test on Wednesday nights at Laster Mountain, he can drive around the water, do him a little dry hop and go to the starting line. Well, at I-22, you got to drive through the water. There's There's no going around it. So... You know, I told him right up front in the staging lanes, okay, bud, you, you're going to have to do a little burnout here and 
clean your tires up because you drive through the water and he's like oh oh no i don't i've never done that i don't know how to do it so i told him how to do it and said you're gonna be just fine so he pulls through the water and does a little burnout and it was uh it the first one was not great of course it's a pickup truck that i drive to work so the burnouts aren't uh, even the great burnouts are awful but he uh he did a little burnout went to the line staged it a little crooked because he he had all that going on so the first run wasn't great but he really adjusted quickly and made three pretty good runs in elimination won the first round lost the second and third when he lost third round he was 495 red and uh and dead on with a three so he executed that run really well and in the first round he had the guy a little on the tree and he killed a little at the finish line in his first ever round of competition so I was obviously very proud of that. Um, you know, the fact that he had the ability to look around, see what was going on, and, and then know what he was seeing and it be right. That was uh, that was pretty cool. So that was pretty much the awesome side of the of the Saturday night race for us, uh, especially for me getting to watch him do that. I know you're still uh, a little ways out. You, I guess, little Gary probably. And Jack will probably get in a junior at some point that JJ never was interested in doing. So my first experience watching him race is obviously in a full size pickup truck. That was a little different, but when you get there, brother, I'm gonna tell you, there ain't nothing like watching your kid get started racing, regardless of when it is. Uh, that was uh, that was an extra special night for us. I can only imagine and. Jed, we talked a little bit off air, but I purposely didn't let you go down this road because I, A, wanted to listen, wanted to hear it for the first time, just the way that our listeners were, would, and B, um, I don't know, like, I, I know that when I tell a story and then retell it on the podcast, like, I leave parts out because I'm like, I just said this, you don't want to hear it again, not thinking that I'm talking to, you know, 20 people. <laughs> listen to the podcast and thinking that I'm just talking to you. So I wanted it to be fresh and uh, that's awesome. I, I can only imagine the, the pride and just how, how cool a feeling that had to be. I do have one question for you though. Yes. I've seen how hard JJ takes your losses. I would assume that that gets ramped up a little bit when he, when he owns the loss himself. How was that? Um, it was, it was probably way better than what you've witnessed, uh, you know, in the, in the last, so we've talked about it here where he's been announcing lately or some this year and people are like, okay, what happened to JJ? Cause this sounds like a grown man, uh, doing the announcing now sound like Jared and then switch over to Jared. So, um, I guess in that, uh, puberty transition, it's probably changed his emotion level some too. So he does, that's, that's just something that almost changed overnight. Luke is just not quite as emotional and he took it extremely well. I was, I was very proud of the way he took it, the way he competed and the way he handled coming up short. Um, he, he's certainly, uh, certainly growing up and, uh, whether that's a good thing or bad thing is debatable, but uh, he's definitely growing up and, and not taking them nearly as, as rough as he used to uh, maybe even a year ago. That's, that's awesome. I, uh, I feel like I see a lot of uh, similar personality traits between JJ and, and my oldest Gary and 
Gary hasn't gotten to the point yet where the competitiveness hasn't completely taken over, but I feel like that's coming to where he's just going to be absolutely distraught when my wind light doesn't come on. <laughs> Inevitable. Yeah. It's, but it's really cute right now because like, say we come home from um, Stanton and I, I run it up the five grander, but all I can think about is how much of a buffoon I was in the final, right? Like, awful stupid mistake but then i hear gary telling one of his cousins about it when we get home my dad was awesome he went through nine rounds and he was in the final (laughs) just innocence to your point i i know it's not going to last long but uh yeah it's uh it's pretty neat like my dad beat everybody there except this one guy you know so pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah JJ never really saw me in my heyday, obviously. Uh, so I don't know why the expectation was there that I should win every race, and it, but he had it. <laughs> no, it's like, son, you don't understand. But this certainly, him getting to do it himself certainly helps him understand real quickly how difficult it is to get the last win line. So looking forward to that too, the the growing up process through what you learn on the racetrack and. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be an exciting uh, future for us to, to get to go do these things together. And I know you'll get to experience that soon. You know, having been yeah. on the other end of that spectrum as well, I can, uh, I can attest to the fact that my, uh, my judgment and uh, the, the level of critique that I would give my father in his racing diminished significantly when I started doing it myself. <laughs> yeah. That's understandable. You got some uh, pretty pretty good sized news yourself here on the home front. We are uh, we're landowners. Yeah, this uh, awesome. We've been talking about uh, my wife and I have been talking about building our dream home for quite some time and, and kind of saving up planning to some extent. But it was one of those things that just seemed out uh, well off into the future, and uh, it literally all changed within like three hours time we we found land that we fell in love with uh it was it was priced very affordably let's say that uh we we were fortunate enough to find it almost immediately when it went on the market and uh and made an offer immediately uh ended up getting in a bidding war (laughs) relatively quickly uh wound up with the property so now those uh those dreams while they're still a long way off are uh feel much more real just uh I mean, we close next month, but, uh, but yeah, the, the first step is, is in now, uh, now the fun part, we actually get to build a home and a shop and yeah. So my stress level may, may go way up over the course of the next couple of years, but, uh, but the, the, the wheels are in motion. Yeah. 11 acres though. You're going to, you're going to have the room to maneuver the race rig and, and have a, a shop that'll hold all of your beautiful yours and Jessica's beautiful toys and, as the boys continue to grow and get their toys, I'm sure you shop a house that as well. So excited for you. That's a really cool thing. And I, I know our listeners are from all over the place. So um, some people might not have a real clear picture of how diverse the state of Illinois is. You know, you got Chicago, which obviously everybody understands what Chicago is. But when you get 300, 350 miles down the road south in the southern Illinois, it is rural, beautiful country with all the um, necessary things that you need, especially the area you live in. You got, you know, you got uh, the nice country living lifestyle, but you got a lot of uh, things around you, eateries and and places to get your groceries and those things. So 
um, you're in a super nice spot and you say you're only, I guess, about 10 miles or so from your current home. So you still get to enjoy that, the same style of living, but do it in your dream home on a big piece of property where your boys can grow. Uh, it don't sound like it gets much better than that, Luke. Yeah, no, it's exciting. And, uh, and to your point, especially where this land is, it, it feels extremely rural. It's all surrounded by farms and, and woods full of deer and whatnot. And it, and it feels very removed from the, 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 the fast pace, which is it's absolutely what we wanted. And then at the same time, it's, we're eight miles from town, you know, or something like that from yeah. pretty decent sized town. It's not like being eight miles from Nashville, but uh, you know, a town where you could get anything that you need. So um, yeah, uh, we're excited about it. Like I say, to ask me in a year, I, I don't know the excitement level will be quite, <laughs> it's very exciting right now. So yeah. And you got a seller's market, so your home probably moved pretty quickly too. That's, that's going to be a good thing. Yeah. The only problem with that is we'd have to move out. So yeah, it, <laughs> at some point it's coming. Be to careful you. when you hang that for sale sign in the yard. No, I'm not looking forward to that side of it either, but yeah, that, yeah. that part's coming. So, all right. Good, good stuff. stuff get into the meat and potatoes of the show big jed uh before we do uh producer mark's gonna kick us off with some pj big jed a lot to get to today but in my mind only one place to start we have a Cole Castile sighting. Yeah, good stuff. Absolutely, Cole Castile. For longtime listeners, we used to. I think we shouted out Cole Castile every show for a year. Yeah, it's quite a long time. Shouted out Cole Castile a bunch. Cole Castile rolled in to Brainerd International Raceway over the weekend. Brainerd had what I believe is their first big dollar bracket race in history. Uh, they were looking to do something special to replace uh, the national event that's obviously been uh, canceled for 2020. And they put on two 10 granders and our man, Cole Castile, drove his pickup truck to the $10,000 win on Sunday. So that's the only place to start. Shouts to Cole Castile. Yeah, great job, Cole. And, and for those of you longtime listeners, uh, I think, Luke, if I remember correctly, Cole drove from Minnesota to um, Oklahoma to, yeah. to get the big the big win, what got him, put him uh, in our line of sight here on the podcast. And uh, I don't know, I think it was like 1,200 miles or something crazy. But We definitely Google mapped it at the time. I believe Cole's from North Dakota. And yeah, like, yeah, that's right. That's right. North Dakota. I had Minnesota on my brain because he won there. But yeah, it was North Dakota. Well, to Canada. And he drove to Noble, Oklahoma for like, I think it was a 10 grander, but it was two tens and a, or two fives and a 10 or something like that. And we thought, well, that guy's crazy, but he won the 10 grander. So he obviously wasn't that crazy. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's why we shouted out Cole Castile for a year. And uh, we've, we've lost touch. So we apologize, Cole. Uh, but yeah, that got our attention. It's the only place to start. Shouts to Cole Castile. A um, couple of quick notes from the last couple of weeks. Um, West May's uh, event at Muncie, I think that was three ten grinders. It was two weeks ago. Uh, seemed to be an overwhelming success. Everything that we've heard from there was positive. So shouts to Wes and the Muncie staff. And yeah. just a few um, events that we wanted to touch on briefly from this past weekend. 
um, before we get into the meat of today's show, which as we said in the, in the open, uh, is kind of predicting the, uh, the 10 biggest stories of the, the rest of the year, and then a, another fun top five. So I guess we'll start up in the great Northwest, Big Jed. Uh, NHRA Division Six Lucas Oil Series event, Boise, Idaho. Um, just the big names that stood out there. It seems like a, a foregone conclusion. We had a Division Six event, Jody Lang won. I don't think that's quite as a foregone a conclusion as it might have been five or ten years ago. Like, uh, not that Jody's skills have deteriorated at all, but it seems like the competition is beginning to catch up. Like, he doesn't just they don't hit on the Wally when he pulls in the gate, but uh, they handed him the Wally before he pulled out of the gate at Boise. But that wasn't really the story in stock. The story in stock was that Jody Lang, in his what is that M stock automatic station wagon, gave chase in the final, and not by a little bit. By like two full Christmas trees, gave shape, gave chase <laughs> to another man. I mean, I mean, this is an epic start to the show, Jed. Isn't it? We've already shouted out Cole Castile. Now we're going to shout out the one, the only, Derek Elam. Again, longtime listeners will know Derek Elam at the wheel of a W stock automatic Pinto, and this is not a flash in the pan, Jed. Like we've come to the conclusion that Derek Elam does not suck at all because I don't know how <laughs> no. the W stock automatic Pinto, but this is the third or fourth final in the last year and a half. I think that's fair to say on the divisional level for Derek Elam. And this is a 16 second Pinto. It's not, if you're just, if you're gaining up and you're like, you know, I'm going to go run stock eliminator and I'm going to go be competitive. A W stock automatic Pinto is not the first car that comes to mind. Or a W stock automatic anything. Fair. Um, when you but, get on the alphabet, you're, you're, you're treading on in tough waters. Yeah. Derek wrapped up 2018, you know, with a great performance and single handedly really Luke had us declare 2019, the year of the Pinto. Um, didn't pan out, but <laughs> He was the motivation behind that. Absolutely. 100%. So Jody Lang, Derek Elam, uh, Cole Castile, we're off to a hell of a start. Uh, super, <laughs> uh, Wade Archer, winner. Uh, Wade's an elite member. I wanted to shout him out here. Wade, uh, the week prior to the Boise Division race, Wade won both days at a local bracket race at Seattle in two different cars and then took that hot streak with him to Boise uh, and emerged victorious in Super Comp. I believe that puts him in the lead in uh, Division Six Super Comp standings as well. So a uh, big win for him. Uh, some other notable names, Tommy Gaynor won Superstock. Uh, Sean Schaefer, a name that you're very familiar with, uh, most of the Northwest bracket racers very familiar with, won the Super Street category, and I believe that's Sean's second final in the young 2020 season. So uh, Big name bracket racer, um, certainly making a name for himself in the 1090 ranks as well. Sean got that win over Gordon Boven, another big name from that part of the country. Uh, yeah. Runner-up in top dragster to Doug Johnson. Ed Olpin, uh, another name that, uh, that we haven't spoke a lot, but we haven't, we haven't spoke a lot of names this year, right? Not a whole lot of racing going 2020 compared to normal. Uh, Ed was runner-up to Darren Shank in Top Sportsman. Jed Shank. Shank. Shank shouts to Shank. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Your last name, Shank. Yeah, that's good stuff. Take us to New Media. 
So New Media in the hills of Pennsylvania, they had their uh, 10-20-10, the New Media 150s, what they call it, Big Ben Domino, putting that on, Domino family on in the, the New Media facility there. Uh, guys, uh, very well known for putting on big races, but this is their biggest by far, and uh, they limit it to 150 entries. Really cool deal, and they uh, they got very good and quick support for it um, on uh, – Friday, they had a high rollers 5K gamblers where Dustin Stocksdale got the win over Scotty Albrecht. Um, while Scotty's a great racer, he can bowl very high 200s right-handed or left-handed, which is a much more amazing feat than uh, going to a final of a, a 5K gamblers. Uh, both of them very impressive, but the bowling is the, is the trick for me. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Time out. Either he. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of ridiculous, Luke. Um, you know, the year that uh, they we saw the rain coming at the spring fling in uh, Bristol, and um, they they knew that it was it may have been it was going to get a day rained out. They knew, so Kyle and Peter and the staff uh, set up a, a trip to the bowling alley, where we all got on school buses and rode over to the bowling alley and just flooded the bowling alley in the in the middle of the day. Their local bowling alley in Bristol, and um, Albrecht. Uh, was uh, battling it out with um, with Howie, which was at the time um, the um, Domino's crew crew guy, and um, Scotty beat him just barely. And I think they were—I mean, it was like two seventy-eight to two seventy-three. It was something stupid, you know. Really great scores. Scotty bowled right-handed the whole time. So when it was all over, he uh, he said, "Just so y'all know." you know, had anything gone wrong with the, the right side, I can also do this. And goes up there left-handed and just rolls a strike. The most beautiful little swirling, looping, curving left-handed strike you've ever seen. I was like, I was blown away right-handed. But the fact that he was amphibious and could do it with both hands, that's a whole other story, too, about being amphibious. But <clears throat> it, of course, I know it's ambidextrous. But the fact that he can do it with both hands was, uh, it was unbelievable. You actually made me think about it for a second. I'm like, wait, I'm not, I don't know if that's right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> don't think that applies. Yeah, long story about Rosie Ryan. Um, that a guy told me 50 years ago he played high school football here locally in Birmingham, and he said he could throw the ball 50 yards. He was quarterback. Throw it 50 yards right-handed, 50 yards left-handed. He was amphibious. So I thought, wow. I mean, and he could throw the football both hands. That was <laughs> quite impressive. Anyway. I, I always thought that Scotty Albrecht was a, a very talented guy just from what I've seen at the racetrack. I had no idea. This anything that any of us could do on the racetrack pales in comparison to that. I Yeah. I've never seen that in my life. Like people make a big deal about Tiger Woods holding a tee between two fingers and catching a golf ball. You bowl a strike with either hand, you got my attention. Yeah, I'd say he's the best bowler in the pits everywhere he goes. But anyway, they went on, they had their 10-grander, of course, uh, the main event for Friday. Jesse Alberts got the win over Kyle Cotrera. Again, a couple of guys that uh, are, are very well known in the bracket racing circles and that get their share of win lights. Uh, Saturday, they had the 5K high roller gamblers where Jeff Sarah got the win over Mark Siegel. A couple of household names there as well going to the final. And then the 20K on Saturday, which was their main event, main event um, the Red Rocket loop. Tom Dauber put one on the board for the has-beens, the old guys, the, the veterans. Got him a 20K win with a six-pack getting by uh, Kyle Cotrera, which turned it red. So Kyle going to a couple of finals there 
back-to-back days, big weekend for him as well. And then Sunday it wrapped up with my old buddy Mark Denebaum, uh, Penn State Nittany Lions number one fan, getting a win over Rick Bale for the, the Sunday 10K check. So all in all, great event there at uh, New Media, and uh, congratulations to the Domino family and all the, the big winners there at the uh, New Media 150. I um. I need to go back. I, I want to pull on team old guys because obviously I love the idea. I saw that Kyle Seipel put a post up like we're going to have team young guns versus team old guys at Bristol Fling, right? And uh, and the the stipulations that he laid out, I think, was under 25, under 30, under 30 for the under 30, yeah. over 45 for old guys. And um, I got nominated. I saw, I saw, I was tagged several times in the post, which makes it, I, I absolutely belong on team. I don't belong on team old guy. I belong on team has been. That's what it is, right? Has been. Yeah, has been. Yeah. I, I, I'm absolutely a has been, but I do not fit the age criteria. No, so you're not quite there. I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or not. Like, <laughs> I, I have no beef at all with being on the has been team. Like, that, I absolutely feel like has been, but. The, the age doesn't line up and I don't, I'm to the point in life where I don't want to get any older than I am. Yeah, no, you, 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 you know, the has-beens from a requirement standpoint, you definitely don't want to qualify, but just being a part of the group and, and getting to compete with uh, the names that'll be on that list would be an honor. So I totally get where you're at, Luke. Makes sense. Cool. How, intricate that's going to be how 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 widespread how broad broad would be a better word how broad that that event's going to be but i will say this i almost posted this uh as, as a comment and not but i'll just say it here where everybody can hear it if it's not Corey galetti hunter Patton, peter biondo and scotty richardson what are we doing yeah you can you can take it as broad as as much wider from that as you want but that's the matchups that's what we all want to see yeah, most definitely. And and as far as the young guns go, I mean, they're, it's household name after household name today in the age of the internet. Some of the has-been names certainly laid the groundwork for their legendary status prior to the internet and, and all the hoopla you get today when somebody wins. They've obviously continued to win for quite some time, and they're they're very well known for that. But uh, as far as the young guns go, I, I don't know exactly who's going to be on the list, but I couldn't imagine there being anybody on that side that you want to face. Now, the has-beens, you know, there's there's some going to be some guys in there that just didn't get enough sleep, and they're going to be they're going to be 35 on the tree, you know, because they might have ate a bag of Cheez-Its before they come up. I mean, so many things affect us old guys. But the young guns, they should win this easily. Now, Luke, I think I, I think you know what I'm doing here. But I do. I like setting the table. You, 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 see, that's the thing. the 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 team has beens might not have the the instincts, the vision, the quick reaction. But what you get with age, you get experience. And what you get with experience, you get some. I don't think treachery is the right word, but you just you just know how to make things happen. And that's what you're doing right now. You're setting the table to make things happen. I can appreciate that. Yeah. 
it should be really interesting. I don't know what uh, the teams are going to look like, but I know it's going to be a blast when they when they finally get to the starting line. All right, so I wasn't at New Media. I didn't keep up with New Media at all. Just looking at the results, I'm going to go ahead. You know I like to do the MVP thing. Kyle Coltrera, MVP from New Media, even though he didn't win a race. Two runner-ups, um, impressive yeah. stuff. Uh, the MVP from the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular at Holly Springs, much less debatable. <laughs> yeah. Back to Rusty Ashmore. Yeah, that one's going to be real easy. Tell us again what Rusty did. So Rusty uh, made his way to Holly Springs for the, uh, as you mentioned, IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular. Um, made it to the final on Saturday and got the win. Um, honestly, don't know who Rusty got by, but he did collect the win on Saturday. Um, no, must have. I'm sorry. I know who he beat in the final on Sunday. Yeah, I was going to say must have got aggravated uh, at not making both the find the winner and runner up position on Saturday because he did that on Sunday. So he wins on Saturday, he wins on Sunday, Sunday he beats himself in the final. Obviously that's a, a play on words. You can't beat yourself in a final, but he did have both positions in the final, uh, which is an extremely difficult thing to do. And uh, Rusty got that done on Sunday there in Holly Springs. So huge weekend for him. Congratulations, Rusty Ashmore. One of the really nice guys there in uh, Mid-South, just kind of hangs around the house, does his thing, but he does it really well. Luke, you're familiar with Rusty and, and a lot of his accomplishments at Memphis and that area over the years and just still doing it, getting it done. So congratulations to Rusty. Uh, to the point, we can laugh on that as kind of being a, a play on words, like ran myself in the final or run it up to myself in the final, whatever the case may be, ran himself in the final. This wasn't long ago. I was at, we'll leave the racetrack unnamed. I was at a relatively big uh, footbreak race and down to six cars. I had two entries. Uh, man, you're familiar with David Bell, also two entries. Yeah, no double O. Yeah. And um, my car was broke, had been broke for a couple rounds and it got worse. So my thought process was if they'll let me do it, I'll just be the last car in line. I will run myself at six and maybe I can manage to hit the tree good enough to get the buy at three and limp this broken car to the final. Right. So Great I strategy. Yeah. I am really thinking, right. Yes. So pull at the back of the line and you know, David's got to race once and come back around. So I went and asked him, I'm like, I'm really trying to run myself. Like if you, whatever, if you want to race, we'll race, but if you just go to the left, like that's what I want to do. He's like, yeah, that's fine. And I actually, the other two competitors were, Yep, if you want to run yourself, that's cool. Because obviously they didn't know that I was broke, right? So, um, <laughs> but then the, the track crew comes down and is just thoroughly confused. And I'm like, well, they're fine with it. If you tell me I can't race myself, then I can't race myself. But like, it lines up to where I would race myself. Like, no, you can't do that. You've got to have an opponent. I'm like, well, technically I do. You sold me two entries, right? I have one for each lane. But who would you race? That's what I would just eliminate one of my entries. They, yeah, I'd be a no-show in the other one. Yeah, they were very confused, right? To the point that they said, you can't do that. And I didn't really feel like arguing. I was like, okay, whatever. But I kind of laughed about it afterwards. And I told my wife, I'm like, what would they do if that was the final? And I didn't have to speculate much longer. <laughs> but at three cars, 
there was another car that had the buy run. So David Bell had to race himself at three. Obviously, I lost both entries at six. I, I conveniently left that part out of the story. <laughs> so they're down for like an hour before the semis. And we're all loaded up. And I think my father-in-law was still in Super Pro. It was the only reason we were sticking around. And my wife's like, what is going on? I'm like, well, they're trying to figure out who David Bell's supposed to race. And I'll be damned. We go up there and that for an hour, they're trying to figure out what to do because David Bell had to run himself at three. I mean, just oh my goodness. completely confused. So, yeah. <laughs> springs, But I, it was a funny story I wanted to share. Uh, <laughs> right, so, MVPs. Uh, yeah, Coltrera, Rusty Ashmore. And uh, the MVP of Dragway 42 is a, is a familiar one. Uh, <laughs> it starts off this race at Dragway 42. Friday's 20 grander. Gary Williams, G-Dub, over Hunter Patton. Uh, Honey Wayne, obviously the, the hottest man in the sport. Uh, I guess the backstory here is uh, Hunter debuts a new dragster. Uh, I think was my impression at least was was finishing it up wee hours of the night, arrives at Dragway 42 in time to be the last car down the track for first round Friday. And at that point, it's like, okay, I'm not even messing with the new car. Like, I'm just going to roll Old Faithful out no time run, and then he advances to the final to lose to Gary Williams. The next day is the debut of his new, beautiful American Race Cars Dragster, and that ends, I mean, I don't even want to say as, as expected. Like, you can't expect anyone to do this. It's, but this year in 2020 for Hunter, Hunter Patton, you, he's just, you expect him to win, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, Our, yeah it's not even a shocking accomplishment. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. It should be, but it is absolutely, yep, okay. A shoulder shrug, like, what else would he do? Um, yeah. Hunter wins Saturday's 20 over Dennis Mead. Uh, the weekend concludes Sunday with Catfish, my man Jason Lynch, uh, knocking down the final 20 grander over Chris Wallen. Uh, Will Holloman wins the American Dragster Shootout, uh, the other big event from the weekend. And I guess the takeaway again, like, Hunter Patton just keeps on Hunter Pattoning, for lack of a better term, uh, the it, the the novel of 2020 for Hunter Patton just keeps adding chapters, and it keeps getting more impressive. And that is a great transition, Jed, into the the topic of today's show, which is the the top ten stories. I guess we're a little bit uh, forecasting, but it's a little bit of these are ten things that we feel like are inevitably coming that the sport is going to be talking about for the remainder of 2020. And I think the top one is not only the season of Hunter Patton, because if it stops right now, like if he's not in another final this season, I think you could argue that he's had the most dominant, the most impressive. I don't think you can argue. I think he's certainly had the most lucrative. I mean, stay save for Steve Cisco and Billy Swain, right? The most lucrative yeah. season in sportsman drag racing history obviously bracket racing history but i would say sportsman drag racing history but i guess the question for me when i when i think about the story of the year is will hunter's 2020 season be remembered as the most dominant season ever in bracket racing like what if, if 2020 didn't happen what would get your vote for that coming in you know, say first what's the most dominant season ever well, it'd have to be Kenny Underwood, um, 2018. 
18. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would have thought that as much as we talked about Kenny and as much as he won on, let, let's say, a 10 grand and higher scale, uh, obviously collecting a million check, the, all the whole deal, the, the, the OG million, if you will. Um, that was a season that I wasn't sure I'd ever see duplicated. But, and no offense to Kenny, please, no one misunderstand this, but Hunter's blowing that out of the water. Look, it's unbelievable. And and you just talked about Steve Cisco. Let's not forget, Hunter collected $100,000 in that race. I know. Um, so, yeah, he didn't win it, but he even when he doesn't win, he's making huge noise. That's a huge me- noise the most impressive part of his season. I mean, you can rattle off the, the big triumphs, 20 grand here at the, at the ACE event, uh, 60 grander at Byron, back to back at, uh, at Cedar Falls, but on the, uh, the 50 grander to start the year at Belrose. I mean, there's so many, I think I've forgotten two or three, right? Oh, no doubt. But I think what's most impressive are the weeks in between. Because when you win that much, when you don't show up in a final, like I think it's kind of expected that you're just going to have off weekends occasionally. Like I was at Stanton for the 50. He lost at five cars. You were at Galat for the Springfield Galat. He wasn't in a final. He was in the semis of the 100 grander. He won the MVP. It was deep every day. Yep. Um, I was at uh, Bowling Green for the, the 10 Gs at BG. He wasn't in a final. He was deep every day. He led his team to the overall team championship. Like a bad weekend for him would make the year the percent of the the racers that go to these events. It, it's been un- uh, producer Mark had to get by him in the semis to go to the final of the the twenty two five race at Keystone. I mean, absolutely. That's another one. He's just in the final. It is, red it's in- just everywhere he goes. And let's so Luke, let's let's think of another. Uh, a dynamic or aspect to this season. We just talked about him uh, going deep in a race and almost winning it at Keystone, which is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, and and winning fifty granders at Bell Rose and and Cedar Falls, Iowa. I mean, this guy has said wherever the race is, I'm freaking going, and he's just making it pay off every time he shows up. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's living the dream. He is obviously racing for a living and racing for a better living than anyone has ever raced for in the history of racing. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, uh, absolutely incredible. And, and to your earlier point, I don't, I think it's safe to say even with Underwood's million, I, I think that Hunter has eclipsed uh, the, the, the total pay, you know. The, no doubt. The, the, I think it's the most lucrative season to date. And keep in mind, we're recording this on August 20th. Yeah. yeah the, the best is yet to come. The craziest stretch of events that we have ever seen looming. I mean, I, I don't want to put the burden of expectation on Hunter Patton at all, because if he doesn't win another round this season, I think you could very well argue that he's had the best season in sportsman drag racing history. But I also think it's very likely that he's going to win several more rounds this season. And he's going to have so many opportunities on a huge stage. Like, would anyone be surprised if he adds $100,000 in winnings, $200,000 in winnings to what has already been just an incredible season? I, I, that would shock no one. And, and he, could, 
the ceiling is much higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, he could do it in a weekend. Like, um, I mean, he's going to race for what two, two and a half million the rest of the way. Um, you know, to to think that he won't get his share of that is is a silly thought at this point. Now, if it doesn't happen again, it doesn't diminish what he's accomplished so far. Um, while the stakes are much much higher, there's there's only a handful of opportunities in there. You know, there's five six good races left, so if you don't get your share of those purses, it's five or six opportunities that slip by you. Yes. The largest purses of the year outside of what Cisco won, but um, you know, it's it, this season is by far the best in my mind, regardless of what happens from here on out. But Hunter has performed so well and I never expect quote unquote, these, these hitters to go just, do well in the big races just because they are who they are. But he has created an expectation in my mind that it will happen. And that's pretty rare for me. I I agree. And I I think too, it's worth noting. I know that we've had this conversation here before as you know, what, what is actually the most dominant uh, season in sportsman drag racing history. And I I think it'd be remiss if we didn't say that it is relative. You know what I mean? Uh, some of the stuff that Scotty Richardson did, we went through several of his seasons, some of Peter Biondo's past seasons, um, Troy Williams Jr. Like we, we went through, we, we tried to do a top 10 and I think it ended up being like 35 seasons that knocked our socks off, you know, when we did that a few months back. But I do think it's fair to say this stands out because no one's ever done it for this amount of money. And I also think, I don't want to be completely prisoner at the moment here. I, I just, I think this thing, this sport, gets more parity and gets essentially harder to dominate every single year. So to dominate at the level that he's dominating at now today, just for that reason is more impressive to me slightly than someone that did it in 2010, 2000, 1990 on back. Like it's all impressive in the moment, but I just, I don't, maybe that is being a prisoner of the moment, but I just think it's even harder today given the technology, given the, how precise the competition is like you just people are not supposed to dominate at the level that he's dominating that's a great point luke um you know in scotty and peter's day they would stage up against guys that they were literally three hundredths better than every time they staged up and they just had to execute and take the win it certainly doesn't diminish what they accomplished i'd imagine scotty on what what was considered big stages in his heyday if you will has the most wins on the the larger scale races than anybody in the history of the game and probably will have more than anyone in the history of the game when it's all said and done i mean i was around him in the early 2000s when my god when he didn't win it was almost a surprise the guy was just unbelievable and that might not even have been what was considered his best era you know in the in the mid to late nineties, uh, he was dominant in, in so many different forms of racing. It was unbelievable. So a lot of times back then when he staged up, he was just that much better than everybody. So just execute and you, you get it done mm-hmm. unless they pull one out of their behind. Now Hunter is staging up with guys that he's probably a lot of his opponents. He's probably a hundredth or less better than them on average. 
So you still got to, you don't just have to execute, you still got to do it really well. I mean, you can't slip up and lose a hundredth on the tree or, or 15 thou or, you know, your car slow down seven or eight thou. Those things can't happen to you and you continue to do what he's doing. So you, he has to not only execute, execute at a very high level, he's got no room for a mistake. Zero. Now I know that sounds silly because he's made his share of mistakes along this run and got by with them. I've watched some, but let's just talk about on average. On average, he's got zero room for a mistake. Let's say anything more than five, six, seven thou, and he's executing to that level. It just, to me, with the level of parity, as you mentioned, it is just the most impressive thing that I've seen. It's funny too, that you bring up Scotty specifically because the little bit that we've been out this season and then the bigger events that we've been to with Hunter there, I feel like there is an aura around him and, a, and a, that the only comparison, the only comp that I have is Scotty circa B&M series because, you know, that time yeah. you just talked about early 2000s, because in that day, it was more of a story if we went to a three day race and Scotty didn't win one than it was when he won. Like it was expected. Yep. And I feel like we're at that point with Hunter and for just from a competition standpoint, you could see the look in people's eyes in, in like good racers eyes when they paired up with Scotty, like, Oh, like there's just, just defeated before you pull in the water. Like there's no way I can pull this off. And I like Hunter's getting to that point. Like I, yep. I feel like there is, you just, you win so much at, at this level. And, and not to say that that's helping him along the way now, because when you get to that level, like people swing for the fences and sometimes they hit too, you know, it does work both sure. ways, but just that kind of atmosphere and feeling around somebody like I, I didn't, I wasn't sure that we would reach a point again in big dollar bracket racing because the field is so compact and because the packages are so precise. I didn't really feel like that anyone would stand out again in that way. And I was wrong. Like Hunter has reached that point in my mind. Uh, I agree. Let's switch over. Second big story uh, of of what's left in 2020. And and I think this is an obvious one. The NHRA Sportsman National Championships. Now this is the time of year, Jed, where, I tend to nerd out, right, and and get dive deep into the points. <laughs> yeah. Talking about okay, who's going to win the world championship this year? We're going to talk about that, but for a lot of different reasons. Because in 2020, it's not just about who comes out on top to to hold that trophy at year's end. It's about how it's even going to happen, right? With with so much of our schedule flipped upside down. And most, I think it's fair to say five, maybe six of the seven divisions have had to cancel or at the very least uh, move around divisional events, not to mention the national schedule. I mean, at this point, what have there been four national events this season that sportsman racers have competed in? Uh, It looks like Indy's going to happen. Beyond that, who knows? So how do we, how do we even determine a national champion, right? That's going to be really interesting to watch. I've heard a lot of rumors there, um, and I don't know that I'm uh, enough of it substantiated to even share here because there obviously hasn't been an official announcement. But I think it's fair to say at this point 
you can't expect sportsman racers to claim their best three out of five national events. I don't, I mean, there's five national events all year, right? And most of them happen in February. Um, and who knows what's going to happen with the divisional side. So I think the bigger story is even how that gets crowned and perhaps even to some extent, will there be sports or national champs in 2020? I think yes. Um, but I, I don't, know exactly what that looks like how they're determined and if to some extent um i don't want to say that it's the the accomplishment would be lessened because i don't think that that's true but it will definitely be different no matter what the the determining factor is and i think that that'll be fascinating to watch unfold yeah i don't, I don't think the the sportsman national champs this year luke if if that's what they even call them will feel the same I don't. I don't think they will feel like they accomplished what the other champions accomplished. However, I'm sure they'll take a lot of pride in knowing that all competitors had the same opportunity. Well, and that's really not even the case. But uh, everyone that was in the chase had the same opportunity, and you know they the winners won. So that that'll probably give them a, a level of pride that overrides how odd this season has been and the, and how the championship chase worked out. But uh, definitely, definitely, as you said, we'll have a different feel to it, I'm sure. Next talking point, and I'll just throw this out there and, and, and let you go on it, Ted. Does this trend of, let's face it, unprecedented support of big dollar bracket races continue through season's end? Uh, Luke, it doesn't seem possible. Um, I don't want to be negative Nancy here. Um, I, I work some of the events on that schedule and they are obviously very close to one another, uh, chronologically. So, um, I am, I am very hopeful that they all turn out extremely well for the promoters, but you know, the level of support that we've seen, you use the word unprecedented, has been really outrageous. So let's not, let's make sure that we don't judge the upcoming races by what we've seen in a market that wasn't as flooded as the next two months are going to present. So don't, you know, we'll just make sure we're not Facebook bashing races that come up a little shorter on car count than what some of the earlier season races have done because that doesn't mean that they were failures it means the market just had way more uh way more to offer than everyone could participate in so um i think they're going to do well Luke. i think all of them are going to do well but i don't think we see the blowout crowds that that we've seen just kind of race after race and here in the earlier to mid part of the season. I, I tend to agree. Although to this point there with very little exception, every marquee big race has had record turnouts. I mean, obviously the, the SFG 1.1 stands out above the rest, you know, with, what 700 plus entries but even races and, and you can go down the list like the the flings 
obviously sold out a lot. Um, the ace race was huge last week, but even the, the events like say the, the world super pro challenge at Michigan, one of the longest standing big dollar races, but in this day and age, not the, not certainly not the richest event. They had their biggest turnout maybe ever, definitely in the last decade. Um, the, the 10 G's at Bowling Green had 300 plus cars. They, they haven't seen that in 20 years. And those are not like the, the races that jump out that you just know everybody's going to. Like at both of those, I was pleasantly surprised. And it just seems like every race that comes up has the biggest crowd ever. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I, and I do think, I, I agree with you, Jed, that a big reason for that is has been scarcity and just simple supply and demand, right? We, we couldn't race at all for two, three months, depending on where you live, perhaps more. Um, and, and I don't know about you, Jed, I got the feeling, and, and maybe, maybe this sheds a life on our lifestyle. I found it difficult to spend money. Like it was just easier to save money because uh, partially, I guess, because we couldn't go racing, maybe, maybe largely because we couldn't go racing. Um, then you add in government stimuluses and in a variety of different forms. And my feeling was that as racers, we weren't necessarily afraid to go get together and race. We were chomping at the bit because we weren't able to for several months. And in many cases, as odd as it is to say, uh, I just kind of had money burning a hole in our pocket. And that like, creates the perfect storm, especially when, I don't want to say NHRA racing isn't an option, but it hasn't been the option that it would normally be. In a lot of uh, markets, the, the local bracket racing isn't the option that it once was, again, for a variety of reasons. Um, so you put all of that together, and, and I think you can begin to explain this unprecedented support to this point. Now, to your other point, it's going to get really interesting because less than a month from now, I mean, the calendar falls, we've got the SFG 500 followed by the Galat fling followed by the Bristol fling, the, the spring fling million followed by, <clears throat> I mean, in back to back weeks. And then I think there's a week or two off before the OG million, as you called it. Does that level of support can, can that sustain through all of that? And my gut says, God, no, like, could you imagine going to all of those races? I mean, if you didn't win, you could have a twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 tab, right? Just an entry for the um, So I don't, I don't know, but are we also to a point that there, is a, there are enough racers willing to go to these types of events that we can all pick and choose and maybe hit one, maybe uh, hit two? You know, and there will be the, the Hunter Pattons and the Troy Williams Juniors that are at all of them. But I, I think that that list will be relatively short. I think it's really a test to see just how deep and broad that market is. And it'll be fascinating. I don't know that I have a prediction, but it'll be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But again, I think they're going to do well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you talked about Galat selling out, but it didn't do it in two minutes. Luke, it did it over a few days, which is a, it's a sign that that demand wasn't quite as high because typically what, after 15 minutes, every time they opened the pre-entry, the Facebook posts were popping up about how stupid the, 
the whole cap thing is and that's you know i hate it and it's, i can't believe they won't let people in and you know, obviously it's a great business model that peter and kyle have and they know what they're doing but that didn't happen this time so while it's still great that it filled up it seemed like it was a little more challenging to do just because of the flooded market out here over the next you know six eight weeks and it's i think it just shows that the whole cap thing didn't i guess scare people so much that they were sitting by the computer waiting to get in the minute that it opened up so uh, and and that's not certainly not an indictment on what peter and kyle are doing um the fact that they can even fill it with this schedule coming up was impressive to me but uh, the way that it feels just shows things are things are lining up to be a little bit different than what we've seen in the earlier part of the year. Well, again, it's the supply curve going up, which makes the demand curve go down. It's difficult to create scarcity when there are so many options. Yeah. Right? And and I think that's what you'll see. I think you'll just I think we'll see racers picking and choosing because we have to like I, I just don't think there's many that can afford to do all of them and again the test is how, how broad is that market to where like is our market big enough that racers can pick and choose one two of these events and they all come out to the good and my gut is yes like now may they may not all be home runs but i think they'll all do fine and I, and my my honest if you had to ask me right now i would say that the whatever, what do we just name off five events there in six weeks or something like that? I think they'll all be profitable. And I never, yeah. never would have dreamed that could have been possible two years ago. You know, but I, I think yeah. it's correct. Um, okay, back, switch back over from bracket racing to, to NHRA competition. Kind of on a similar theme to we talked about the Lucas Oil Series National Championships. How about the ET finals in each of the seven divisions? Do those go off without a hitch? Do they have a, a different feel if and when they do? And what do we do with the Summit World Championship, the, the eight-car runoff to, to determine a national champion that's typically at Pomona at the World Finals? I think it's fair to say that this year's World Finals, at least at Pomona, is very much in doubt. Um, so yeah, my feel is that each of the seven division bracket finals will go off essentially without a hitch. I assume it will feel a little bit different because everything in 2020 feels a little bit different, but those are largely, if not exclusively participant driven events, uh, similar in scale to a, a divisional event. And those have been going off for the most part with, with little issue. So I think each division is going to be able to figure out a way to make that happen. I think where the, the real hurdle comes in, is determining a national champion and is that something that that can even happen in 2020 well go off without a hitch um go off yes without a hitch as according to what how you define hitch uh when I, I just think of division three that's always held at norwalk um you know obviously that isn't going to happen where is your next premier facility that can handle what is going to be a potentially large crowd and, and offer everything that they need. Does that move all the way south of Bowling Green loop? Does it stay in Ohio at, at one of the other, you know, Dragway 42 or one of the other 
great facilities in that area. So very interesting there for that division alone. I imagine some other divisions will see challenges that are similar. Um, so there, there will be a hitch or two. Um, will it have a different feel? I believe so. Uh, you know, is that going to be the case for the Southeast division and in that category? Probably not. We'll probably be business as usual down in here, but there will be some divisions that, that have a different feel that have some struggles. And as far as the summit world championship, you know, that's, uh, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough to get world champions in in the traditional form. So I'm not sure how they'll pull that off. I, I would expect there to not be world champions this year. And again, not trying to be negative, Nancy, but just not sure how that gets pulled off to get all those people together at an event that, you know, doesn't have what Pomona offers, you know, that, that big time event feel where they're paying those guys good money to be there. Um, you got on the IHRA side, you know, they go to Memphis and will those other divisions be able to make that trip? So I'm not sure world champions are going to happen this year in the, the bracket side of things, but hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah, I hope you're wrong as well. I don't, I'm not ready to say that I don't think it will happen. I think it's going to be very difficult to pull off. Um, obviously, I would hate it for each of the division champions if they did not get that opportunity. But let's face it, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of people in various walks of life going through far worse as a result of this, right? So, well, Luke, let's start a movement right now. Uh, so let's say the odds are that there's going to be no world champions in the bracket, bracket divisions. I move that, uh, you know, Summit pays for those things. They paid, they put the money out there to have their world champions and they're, they're paying those uh, fees for those racers to get to come to the events. Let's just say the 2020 champions don't go run a world championship. They're automatically in for 2021. 2021 just gets double the competitors that, that for the world championships that they would have had. So, you know, let's say they get to go. They just postpone it till 2021 when you get to show up and they just have twice as many racers. And let's hope that we can have races with fans in 2021. I mean, that, that could roll over and we could just have a, a, a champion of the decade, right? I love it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fifth uh, big story for the rest of the year, the, the Great American Million. Uh, of all of the events that we just talked about, I think it's the one that probably garners the most attention, which is tricky because the OG Million is the OG Million. And there, there, there comes with that a level of prestige. Any fling event, they do such an amazing job. That comes with a level of prestige. The SFG stuff has gotten so much traction. Um, that even the, the SFG 500, which now feels like a, a secondary race, as silly as it is to say it's guaranteed 500 grand to win, um, you know, compared to their 1.1, like it, it just doesn't feel like the premier event, but that's going to get a lot of attention and rightfully so. All that said, um, the, the Great American Million guarantees a million dollars to win. I, I think it's fair to say that it is the biggest event on the schedule remaining um, in 2020. And it's just curious. We talked about the way that the calendar is going to lay out. Will that negatively impact that event at all? And now being that it follows the SFG 1.1 million, that of the great American million will inevitably be compared to it. 
how does that compare? How do racers look at that in hindsight? And I think ultimately we begin to answer the question after two goes at this, you know, when we get through September, uh, having done the SFG 1.1, having done the Great American Million, we begin to really get a, a feel for, is this event sustainable? Like, are we going to see races that pay a million dollars to the winner annually going forward? Is this going to be a, a one-time thing? Is this going to be something that goes away? Or is this going to continue and or continue to grow? Because as we've talked about before, throughout our careers, the purses available in, in this type of racing have plateaued at times. They've never decreased. Um, I don't like, we made a big jump, right? Like last year it was a big, big thing to guarantee half a million dollars to win. That had never been done before. And Kyle Riley and Britt Cummings and Galen Rallison doubled it. <laughs> you know, I, it, a lot of questions, like take whichever part of that you, you want to focus on first. Well, obviously to me, these guys, the, the, the Scoggin, Dickey, Race Shop, Chevrolet Performance, Great American Bracket Race, Guaranteed Million, is sitting in the catbird seat. The entry list is full. Um, some things obviously developed after that was nearing its, its uh, full level. Uh, some things developed in other events that might have had those guys a little concerned you know, are people going to change their plans, change their mind? But I think today it still remains full. And matter of fact, if they're taking alternates, if you want on the alternate list, contact Galen Rollison. He'll put you on the alternate list in case someone does change their mind, back out, blow up, whatever, can't make it. Um, that alternate list that Galen's keeping will will determine who gets in. So to me, that has them sitting exactly where they wanted to be, regardless of what's happening around them. You know, they, they've continued to stay with their business model and their plan. And by all means, it looks like it's working to perfection. And this close to the race, what are we, six weeks from it? Um, and it hasn't blown up. I would say they got to be feeling really good. So as far as negative impact from the calendar, it doesn't appear that's the case at all. It, it looks like folks are committed and, and going. Um, How does it compare to the SFG 1.1? Um, similar to me, they're, they're similar events while Kyle seemed to have uh, quite a bit of, uh, I don't want to say this and sound negative, but he had tricks up his sleeve on how to increase his crowd due to the entry fee being at a, a more accessible price point. He had to get a little more creative. So as far as how they look on paper and how the promotion efforts compare to me, it's they're, they're nowhere close to one another on different ends of the spectrum. These guys put it out. This is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to work. And it has just followed that plan. And along, you know, every couple of months, he'd have a new uh, trick up his sleeve and say, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do that. And he has since changed his 2021 event loop to 900,000 to win which tells me still want to do something big, but it looked profitable from the outside looking in, but it must not have been worth the anxiety that it creates knowing that, that you're going to owe one person $1.1 million. 
Yeah, no, the good points. I, I would say I agree. And how he – go ahead, Jim. No, I'm just saying it looked like he pulled every trick out of the bag. So um, to me, the more sustainable business model would be with Britt and Galen's style. Put it out way early, uh, do a lot of different things promotion-wise to try to generate interest, uh, have payment plans and those things that seem to work well for them. So that looks like a more sustainable business model, but we've seen Kyle do unheard of things and unprecedented things. And, you know, who knows what he's got planned for 2021. Got a, a point series where he's going to crown a champion over his series of events. So, you know, I think 2021 is going to offer the racers uh, just as much or more than, than this year has, if that don't sound too crazy. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Uh, specifically on the uh, negative impact from the calendar, I, I completely agree with your point. Of any of these promoters that we just talked about, I would think Britain and Galen have to be the most comfortable simply because uh, they basically had pre-entries in hand before any of these other races were moved to this point in the calendar, right? And that helps. Now, on the flip side of that is, yes, that's true, and they have a sold-out race now. Uh, inevitably, there will be some turnover. So I think it's very possible that they scramble for to fill the last few entries the week of, although the prestige, the, the, the simple money available, right? Purse, it, that may not be an issue. It may, it may have no problem selling out. The flip side of that is just the, the stakes involved. I mean, normally, Jed, like you put on the World Footbreak Challenge, and let's say that there's a, there's a bad uh, forecast and 20 of your racers that had pre-entered can't come. Like, that sucks, but okay, you can deal with that, right? Mm -hmm. What if 20 racers don't come, but they're a $3,000 entry fee each? <laughs> and yeah. you've got, you know, I mean, by the time that you factor in buybacks and the associated races, that just 20 cars, which percentage-wise doesn't seem monumental, it's a $100,000 hit. And I, have, I don't know what the, the, the profit margin built into that event is, but nobody wants to take a $100,000 hit. So I think there's still going to be sleepless, sleepless nights from a promoter standpoint. Um, but to your point, I, I would definitely feel the most comfortable if I was in Britain Galen's shoes, simply because essentially everybody that's coming for the most part is pre-entered. Um, so I, I agree they are less susceptible to, to take a hit due to this calendar than anyone else. Yeah. I, interesting. I love the points that you brought up on the comparisons to the SFG 1.1, because you're right that from a business model standpoint, they're extremely different. I'm thinking in terms of the way that it's received from the racers. And on, and I think, again, you could argue this from two different standpoints. Number one, um, I think it's safe to say that Kyle Riley and the SFG staff exceeded expectations of just about everyone, myself included, and put on, I, I think it's safe to say, like, the most memorable event in sports and drag racing history. Clearly. Absolutely knocked it out of the park. So from that aspect, I feel like that's a tough act to follow, right? That's a lot to live up to. But you could also look at that from a, a, another vantage point. That race is, what, now 
two months in, in the rear view. So Britt and Galen and everyone involved with that race watched exactly what happened at stand or at, uh, at US 131 and said, okay, that's the bar. And they've had three months to plan on how they're going to match or exceed it. And that's a smart duo. Like I, I feel like the bar is really, really high, but I think there is also advantage to seeing someone else do it and learning from perhaps mistakes, although it didn't seem like there was many and just like this worked, this may not have worked. Like I, I think there's an advantage there. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's crazy to say that this race could be every bit as well received, if not even bigger than the SFG 1.1. And, and that's saying a lot. Yep. I think that's very well said. And, um, you know, going forward, losing AJ, you know, how does that impact those guys? How many, how many racers was he recruiting to, to come to the races that, that came for him? You know, you know how it is, Luke, in these races as a promoter, you're, you're one bad misguided decision away from, you know, being, you know, burned at stake and just freaking lit up on the internet. And so, you know, Kyle, Kyle's got his work cut out for him, uh, replacing what AJ brought to the table. And, uh, he's, he's certainly very close to showing people how he moves forward without a very experienced and knowledgeable guy down there uh, facilitating the race. So should be real interesting, but you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to all of it. I'm excited to see how well those events hold up and, and do in comparison to what we've seen earlier this year. It's definitely going to be great talk for us here on the podcast. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to answer the sustainable question yet. I think, it's fair to say, at least from the outside, that, that the two guaranteed millions this year, I, I think it's fair to say, are going to be a success. Uh, the, the extent of that success, I guess, a little bit arguable. And I tend to think that we'll see a similar event next year. I guess Kyle's already kind of might, kind of locked in a similar event, even though it doesn't quite have the panache of the, the guaranteed million. But there's just so many variables. I mean, we're, we're living in a pandemic, uh, in an election year. Uh, like there could be significant economic impacts. Uh, who knows, you know, what the future holds. And I don't think, I just think there are a lot of variables that are not at all in the control of or an indictment on these promoters and their success. Well said. Okay. The next bullet point is really an extension. And, and to some extent we've talked about it. We don't have to spend too much time on it, but of these mega events on the calendar like will there be winners and losers and are we i don't think we're comfortable necessarily predicting them i i think it's fair to look at the calendar and i, I said this on uh it was when i was on with the the drag champ guys on their podcast like i i worry for randy and the original million just because it's the last one on the calendar nothing to do really with the race itself i mean it's it's the og million but you just stack up all of these races and there's going to be, there will be several racers that pick and choose and say, okay, this is the race that I want to go to. But there are a lot of us that aren't that disciplined. They're just going to be like, well, we're going to go to the first two. And if we, as long as we win something there, we'll be good. Well, we all know that there's like a pretty small percentage of the field that actually wins something. So there will be racers that just don't have the money to go to the last one. And that, that would worry me a little bit for Randy. Like if there's one, 
one of those races that just simply on paper you go, Ooh, man, like I, I would be, I'd be more nervous. It would probably be that one just for that reason. Yeah, definitely. Um, being last on the schedule will, will create some anxiety. They've changed the format as you've seen, you know, it's three fifties in a million. So obviously it comes at a higher price point for the, the people that are uh, running the surrounding races around a million, but it's a better look a reality. It is. It looks great. But reality is Luke. So we're, we're bracket racers. You got with a little bit higher entry fee now for the fifties, you got quite a bit of people on the internet that's trying to find every excuse they can not to go. Not, you know, it's just priced me out of my, my range. It was, it was a $650 entry before. Now it's nine ninety nine for three fifties, and it was three uh, what twenty fives or thirties, whatever, whatever. I think it's twenty fives. But um, so this is not a nine hundred ninety nine dollar decision. It's a three hundred forty nine dollar decision because you that, that whole six hundred and whatever cars was going at six fifty. So you're telling me that nobody's going now because it's three hundred forty nine more dollars. That's the decision you're making, not nine ninety nine. And it's three fifties. And I looked at it and you average a fourth round win over the fifties. You make a return on your entry, not just get it back. You make a return on it. If you average a fourth round win, who's showing up that doesn't think I can win fourth round every day. The entire crowd thinks they can win fourth round every day and they got aspirations of winning a day or so. So, um, I think personally, Randy's race and Jenny's race is just a, a, a forecast away from, knocking it out of the park or being right on the edge. Yeah. I think racers are looking for excuses. And if they get a poor forecast, they're going to find the excuse they need to stay home. But you let that thing have a solid 74 and sunny every day forecast and people are going to suck it up and show up because it's the OG million and you still want to win it. And you want your name on the list of those other 24, 25 people. And, and you want the, the hoopla and, and notoriety that goes along, and, of course, the paycheck that goes along with winning the OG Man. You and, a great point, Jed, because I, I think excluding, you know, like the, the million itself or any of these races that are $1,500, $2,000, $3,000 to enter, excluding those from this conversation, the entry fee part of the money that we spend to go big dollar bracket racing is a relatively small piece of the pie, right? I mean, by the sure. time you've got diesel and support equipment and race car equipment and perhaps either hotels or motorhome payments or whatever the case may be, like when you look at it all in a vacuum, the entry fees are not the bulk of the expense, right? And to that point, raising the entry fee for this specific event, you know, what, $349, will that drive a percentage of racers away? Yes, but I would, I would agree with you that it's a, a small percentage because when you look at the big picture, you're like, ah, I'm this deep, like what's another 300 bucks? Especially when I, I think it's fair to say the race, I think the flyer looks better than really any million in history, not just because it's more money to win, like, payback is deep as you mentioned you don't necessarily have to go a bunch of rounds to break even like i think it's a good looking race so yeah i agree luke and, and what as a racer as a serious racer and serious racers show up to the og million what would you rather do would you rather the, the price be a little bit lower 
and race 600 plus entries? Or would you rather it be a little bit higher and race for 50 grand each day and race against 400 to 450 racers? And I don't know what crowd's showing up, but it's, it's logical thinking to think that it's going to drop off with the increase in, in entry fees. It will price some people out. Let's not be silly and, and think that it won't. But as a serious racer, that's a much more enjoyable race to me. That's where I want to be. And if it costs me $349 more, well, heck, sign me up. Oh, yeah. And as racers, we're so weird. If I break my converter today, I'll have another one sent overnight for a thousand bucks or eleven hundred bucks and work my ass off all night to put it in so I can go racing. But somebody's gonna give me an opportunity to win three fifty thousand dollar races for that same investment and I just want to raise cane about it and say I'm not going. Come on man. Let's get our let's get our minds right here. It's not always what it's costing you, it's what's available to you. Now you know my feelings on this because I've yes shared it ad nauseum like i would gladly pay a little extra money just to deal with a hundred less cars you know and i i've become convinced now that i'm in the minority on that <laughs> just because of the success of these you know slightly lower entry mega car events but yeah. i'm 100 percent with you I, I i this appeals to me much more um so the next two items on our list jed we'll, i think we'll roll through them relatively quickly but they are close to our individual hearts first off the Labor Day 100K. We're two weeks away from this, Big Jed. It is the richest event in footbrake racing history. It's obviously your brainchild, along with Stone Cold Steve type, Steve Stites, Kohlberg Racing Promotions. How exciting! What's the atmosphere going to be like in Bristol? It's really exciting, Luke, and that you know, it's, the atmosphere again is going to be amazing. But I know some folks are going to compare it to what happened July the 4th where there was 550 entries totally different race format purse price point for the entry this is that was not the expectation for the Labor Day 100k we did not expect 550 we were hoping to when we built this to be between 250 and 300 and it looks like it's going to fall right in there perfectly so it's right where we wanted it. It's going to be a manageable race for the serious foot brake racer that wants to race for life-changing money for, for our category. Um, guaranteed purse. You, you don't, you've never seen a hundred thousand dollars win guaranteed in foot brake and, you know, remains to be seen if we, if we get to see that again, but we will this year, it's going to happen in two weeks. And for the serious foot brake racer that don't want to sit hours between runs, and and wants to be part of something special and and big and life-changing uh, this is where you need to be i'm i'm a little surprised by some names that are not on the list some people that i thought you know when we built this that i, I thought you know was potentially the, the kind of racer that was going to win it and stand in the winner's circle on saturday so um it's going to be very interesting to see you, you you're going to see quite a bit of the household foot brake names but there's a lot of them you won't see so it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top you know is it going to be a guy that that drives his mopar there 300 miles from ohio and gets his scooter out of the back seat and cracks them and wins 100 grand is it going to be a you know a charlie lockhart or a rick bear or a lucas walker or any of the those big names chris plot name them keep on naming them so 
uh, super excited about it. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I hope people aren't judging it against the World Foot Brake Challenge. This is a different kind of event, and it's landing right where we anticipated it would land. Super excited about it, and can't wait to hand somebody that $100,000 payday on Saturday, September the 5th. It's uh, it's definitely come has come with its own level of anxiety for us. Uh, been uh, you know a lot of nervous anxiety throughout all this pandemic and wondering how it was going to impact us all the way down the road in September. And um, I think, you know, we're obviously in the clear. We're going to get the race. That's a wonderful thing. And I think it's going to, um, it's going to set the stage for foot brake racing for years to come. I, you know, I would expect if it goes off the way it looks that somebody next year might try to do something big as well. And, you know, maybe some more offerings for foot brake racing as a result of an event like this that, that we haven't seen before. So it's going to be interesting to see the, the trickle down effect and the impact it has on the class. But in the short term, uh, it was very long winded there, but in the short term, excited, nervous, anxious, ready to get there, get it on, get it rolling and, and get a, a hundred thousand dollar champion. I like the piece that you just said there at the back end, because I think there's, uh, this perception that among race promoters, there is a great deal of competition. And on some level there is, but I just sensed if this is the, the, the groundbreaking event that sets the tone for other similar footbreak events to follow, I get the sense that you would take a great deal of pride in that. Most definitely. Most definitely. You know, you, you, you have to look back 2007 when the, the WFC started out as a 10, 50, and 10. Obviously, you're very familiar with that as you, you run it up to, to, to arguably one of the greatest that'll ever live in the, the 50 grand final. Um, it's, uh, I think it's evident, it's obvious how that impacted the class for years to come. A lot more other guys that, that we spent time with in the pits started putting on some races good races, 10,000 and higher. And that continued on for quite some time. Now it's, you know, the, the world has seen a lot of change and there's been some challenges in the economy due to pandemics and other things. And I think that started trickling the races back. The, the opportunities that, that foot breakers had to go compete on a big stage started slimming up a little bit you got loose rockers still doing their thing we're still doing our thing and there's some other spots here and there but way back when 2007 it had a major impact on the sport for years to come that has dwindled a little bit now but here we are with a hundred grander it's going to be a success it's going to go off well it's going to do everything that we thought it would do and hopefully that you know, impacts some people and, and makes them make the decision to to try some other offerings for foot brake racers and, and put on something big for them. So our class gets to see, uh, a, I don't want to say a saturated market, but definitely a, a, a healthy market that allows foot breakers the opportunity to go compete on these kind of stages a little more often. Well said. I love it. Um, another interesting development that uh, that has obviously caught my attention but 
has caught a lot of people's attention. Our support and, and response to this has been overwhelming. It was on this show last week, uh, Ashley Thompson came on and together we rolled out the thisisbracketracing.com driver series uh, for the remainder of 2020. And it's very much a, a trial deal on our end. We we're doing it just at five racetracks, um, Muncie Dragway, Beach Bend Raceway Park, National Trail Raceway, Mid-Michigan Motorplex, Bremerton Raceway. And, but it's going to allow local competitors at each of those uh, facilities to compete for what we're going to call a national championship, like basically a, a five-track championship. And we're guaranteeing $2,500 to win in both classes. Uh, it actually looks like there's a pretty significant chance that that purse will increase. Um, basically, if we get enough entries in it to, to pay that purse, we're going to pay out 100% of the purse above 2500 right so guaranteed 2500 and we're not going to make a dime on it so if we get enough interest the purse will go up um like i said the response has been really overwhelming to this point and so it's going to be fun to track that just that five race series ashley's going to come back on with us probably monthly for the rest of the year just to talk about who's doing what who's leading what has to be done to, to be overcome and then obviously when it's all said and done we'll have the champions here on the podcast to uh to talk about you know this run and and winning it and as cool as this is going to be uh to close out 2020 i think it's pretty obvious when i say that this is a a, a trial deal i think that the potential to make this truly a, a nationwide if not continent-wide series in 2021 and beyond is absolutely there and i think that's when this gets really fun because we get to we would obviously have the opportunity then to raise the purse where the stakes are pretty significant and it's truly you know a, a national thing that you can compete in without ever having to leave your home track like i just think the potential for this is really huge and i'm excited about it it's, it's been ashley's brainchild uh she's put in a ton of work and uh, i think it's gonna be really fun to keep up with this year and and even more fun uh potentially to see what it grows into yeah i'm super excited about this as well um i've, I've been seeing this obviously popping up here and there and somebody put it in perspective, which you just did, uh, but I was going to mention somebody shared it on Facebook and said, imagine winning a world championship without leaving your home track. And, you know, that's truly what you can do. You don't, you don't have to leave and even go to a runoff or whatever. You, you can just race where you're most comfortable, support your home track, which is, is vital for the health of, of our local facilities these days. And, and collect a championship on a, a large scale. I mean, this thing offers everything that local racers want and, and then some truly. So uh, really excited about this. You said it's Ashley's brainchild um, to, to think that, uh, that somebody had the, the foresight to, to put this together and start dreaming it up and then put it into motion. Uh, really cool to me. I never even, thought about something like this and then I look down the list of the facilities that you partnered with and it's like the best run uh you know most respected facilities and and owners track owners around and especially in the areas that that you're partnering with so uh wonderful idea very cool exciting and if that one of those tracks was my home track I'd be absolutely jacked right now to think that this was coming my way. So I'm sure it's going to get great support and 
there's zero reason why it, it wouldn't just be a home run idea. So looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah, ditto. And if you're listening and you are uh, a regular at one of those five facilities or simply uh, are within driving distance, it's only four events that count uh, for 2020. If you want to learn more, check it out. This is bracketracing.com slash driver series. Um, all right, two more bullets on our big list here. Ten might have been might have been a little bit ambitious. I, I admit that now, Jed. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for it's keeping big. It's been a long show. So long. But uh, <laughs> number nine on our list. Uh, and then we've touched on this to some extent too, but I, I think we could dig a little bit deeper. Does the impending election and or the results from it uh, impact the racing economy? And I think you could look at this on a variety of different levels. We talked a little bit about big dollar bracket racing, but also uh, the NHRA Sportsman Ranks, the Lucas Oil Series, and then on down to, to local competition, because I think that the potential impact varies slightly, if not significantly, for each of those markets. Um, care to prognosticate at all? Um, I see little to no impact, Luke. Um, to me, I, I won't get into how I feel about either candidate, but to me, it's a it's a clear-cut winner. Um, could be wrong, been wrong a lot, especially in politics, but... Um, I couldn't see where it's it's going to have a major impact. Will there be some impact? Yeah, probably, but it won't be noticeable. Uh, I think more impact will be uh, felt with the people at the track that might have their opinion of, of the winner, regardless of which side wins. Um, you might see a you know an argument or even a scuffle or two at the racetrack that's the impact you'll see but as far as on uh, the actual amount of competitors and, and what's available from a purse standpoint nah, no chance i think history tells us that we tend to get very trepid around election time like the the, the markets and the economy don't ever feel certain but i saw some interesting studies to where like the market fluctuations haven't really followed party lines like it's not necessarily better with when there's democratic power both in in the presidency and in congress or republican power like and and it just looking at that study makes you question how much politics really drives the economy or the market at all right like i th think we tend to tie them together i'm not sure that it's the correlation that we all think so to that end i think you're spot on jed like i don't know that the net the election necessarily will make a significant impact but i also think it's fair to say whether it's politically driven or not uh we have been at least we've been in an economic boom for years and specific to you know, the bulk of our market, that hasn't changed despite, you know, what our, what our country and the world has been through over the last six months. I think it's inevitable at some point, you know, all of these are, these are cyclic things, we're going to see a downturn. I don't know if that comes in November. I don't know if that comes in 2025, but at some point it's going to cycle back the other way. And then I think that that will be a really interesting test for all forms of racing. Um, I, I think that when, because it's not if, it's when, uh, the economy d does decline, big dollar bracket racing, I think, would suffer the most. It would look different, let's say that. I, th I think big dollar bracket racing will still be a thing, 
but it, it's going to, if and when the economy go crashes, so to speak, or, or we get into some sort of a depression, um, I think that's the first thing that gets impacted. And I, I just feel like the, the, the pay structures, the event structures will change and will manipulate accordingly. Um, the NHRA stuff to me seems a little bit less elastic. I feel like that market, A, would be less impacted and B, it's just from a strict entry fee standpoint, it's much cheaper to go racing, right? Um, so I don't think that would see as big of an impact. And it's interesting, I think on the local level, you could argue a number of different ways. Like if big dollar bracket racing began to dry up to some extent and it, it wasn't as saturated, so there's less options at that level, I think you could argue that that helps local racing. At the same point, if the economy gets bad enough at some point, then people just aren't going to race at all. And, you know, that doesn't help any form of racing. And I think if I, I may be speaking out of turn here, Jed, and, and I know that it, uh, all of us are, are clouded by our, our personal experience and the lens through which we view the world. But I feel like speaking personally, and I know that I'm not completely alone because I've talked to other racers who feel this way. The, what we've been through for, since March, if anything has made me it's made a lot of us realize like how much we love racing and want to be there and i'm and i'm part of that group certainly it's also made me realize how much more there is to life like when there was a time where i couldn't go racing i found ways to occupy my time and i wasn't miserable and it made me realize like i've spent damn near every weekend of my life for the last 25 years at a racetrack and I, for the first time i realized like oh wait there, there's other, like people do other things on saturdays right and so at least like I've, I've, I could see myself, you know, certainly now and even in the future, like just being a little bit more selective, picking and choosing a little bit more and not necessarily racing every weekend. Like I say, I, I know that that I don't speak for everyone when I say that, but I also don't think I'm the only one. And I think that that carries over and perhaps even gets more amplified when, again, not if. Uh, the economy goes the other direction. I agree with that. Um, definitely. I think all of us have, uh, have found some other things that we can enjoy. Although, you know, this during this year when you couldn't go race and there was a lot of other things you couldn't go do too. So True. it, it changed things, but I, I think most importantly, it's brought families together. It, it's it's created some some bonds with you know friends and family that might not have gotten that kind of strength had the racing been plentiful, uh, like it usually is. So um, definitely, I think we've all experienced uh, some some joy out of uh, not quote-unquote having to go racing but certainly not getting to go that being said uh yeah it just made me miss it more too Luke so while I was enjoying my time at the lake and doing things with family that didn't involve racing um I couldn't wait for for things to get back to normal and go racing again so um I don't I can't say that I'm going to be a guy that while I found all that enjoyment and some of those other things, 
I can't say I'm going to be a guy that will choose those other over racing when, when things are just normal again. So, and that's probably more normal than not normal. I, I would agree with that. All right. Last, last bullet point on our list. And we could, <laughs> this one could be a pretty good rabbit hole. Um, we'll, we'll try to keep it relatively brief. I feel like this has died down pretty significantly over the course of the last month, but we went for a stretch there where the accusation of cheating in big dollar bracket racing was as rampant as it's been in 20 years. And we had a lot of racers not only convinced that there was cheating going on, but who felt like they knew exactly how the cheating was going on. Like I say, this has lost momentum recently, but does anything come of it as we close 2020? And what, when I say come of it, like it could be, could we see an, an on track or at track, probably more, more accurate incident, right? Where something blows up and who knows what happens. Could we see uh, legislation against this in terms of added rules, new rules, different rules? Could we see administrative adjustments? That was the best, best term that I could come up with for, like what I've heard more than anything is uh, racers seem to be most worried about a, a tree sensor, basically, that, that hits the tree without the driver having to do it. And I've heard a lot of rumblings. I don't think there's anything in existence yet. And, I, and I'm not even completely certain that anyone's working on this, but I've heard a lot of rumblings of a tree scrambler, basically, that would create some way to, to throw off such a device that would not be visible to the naked eye. It wouldn't affect those of us that are you know, hitting the tree on our own. Um, so uh, take that any which direction you'd like, Jed. Like, do you think this is quiet for the next three months and we've, you know, it just kind of, uh, it, it made its rounds and now it's passed? Or do you think that there is a fire brewing that, that comes to a head in some form or fashion? Uh, look, you'd have to be a fool at this point to come to the track with illegal devices on a big stage. Um, I, I just, I don't think there's going to be an incident. And if, if people aren't accusing Hunter Patton of cheating, when hell, who who could you accuse of cheating then? So because, I mean, he's doing it better than anybody's ever done it. So he would be your target, and we know he's clean. They, he's been checked. So um, I don't think we're going to see an incident. Will we see legislation and different rules? Absolutely. Um, we're seeing different rules right now. Some of them are kind of impromptu and probably some people wish that they had different rules already in effect prior to the events, but we're going to see some rules about uh, drive shaft sensors and those things that that'll probably get a little more um, regular in some of these rules on flyers and administrative adjustments uh tree scrambler i don't know much about all that i don't know exactly how you can make that work and still allow the the racer a fair opportunity to hit the tree and be competitive but what i think we will see are a little more stringent uh tech situations and, and um checking of cars and you know, I, I don't know how you check for tree scramblers, but uh, I don't I don't know much about all that. But I, I don't think that you're going to see a whole lot of um, whole lot of things changed 
in timing systems or any of those things trying to detect cheating devices, I, I think probably just see a little tougher tech here and there, which is really hard to do when you get six, 700 cars at races. Uh, you can really bog down the program with that, knowing that it's very unlikely that even uh, a quarter of a percent of the racers have ever even thought about cheating. So you're probably just wasting a lot of time and effort. So um, I think they're going to be watching numbers on on um, live timing and, you know, 13, 20 goes and those type things and really trying to dive into anything that looks suspicious and then go, go check it. Be a lot of random checks. I think we'll see more of that going forward. Yeah, I tend to agree on, on both fronts, Jed. I, I am optimistic that we will not see an incident, you know, and really the only incident in our race's history is Moroso in 99, right? Uh, all yeah. festered and came to a head throughout that season, but the, the, the big, it got ugly at Moroso. I don't foresee that happening again, and I certainly hope that it does not. And at mm-hmm. the same time, I, I do hope, and I'm actually relatively confident and optimistic that there are so many smart people in this industry, whether that be on the promoter side, on the track owner, operator side, and on the racer side, that are concerned about what's possible in today's technology and are actively working, maybe not necessarily together, right? Because that's a difficult thing, um, but are, are working and thinking about how to manage it, how to mitigate it, how to, you know, basically do our best to eliminate any wrongdoing that may or may not be going on. Um, and I just think with all of those minds working in that direction, I, I think it's inevitable. I hope it's inevitable that the policing in our form of, of competition goes up. Uh, I think you will see rules changes. I still think there is a hell of a opportunity for a cottage industry, for a, a traveling tech band, you know, uh, of, a, of a group yeah. really know what's going on and what to look for and could stay on top of that because that I would assume that that's a very fluid thing as, as technology continues to evolve. Um, but I do feel like we're getting to the point, certainly at the highest levels, where the stakes are high enough that whether or not it's enough to incentivize uh, a real racer to do wrong, I think it's enough to have everyone's guard up. And I, I just, I, I think we would all feel better about it if there was someone or an entity that we trusted to just know, have that assurance that, hey, everybody's here is on the straight and narrow. Like, I, I think that's coming or some form of that's coming. Um, and I think it'll, it'll happen through timing systems as well. I know that there have been conversations there, um, you know, to, to help continue to, to level the playing field. Um, I do think, I think we'll see changes. I think they'll be gradual, um, but I think that they'll, they'll change the sport for the better. Yep. I agree. All right. We had our typical uh, top five. We had a really fun top five planned. Jed, I'm going to make the administrative decision here. We're going to pull the plug on it for this show. We've gone an hour and a half plus, and our top fives don't ever take like 10 minutes because we just, we have to. <laughs> so we're going to table this. It's a good one. This is what in the industry we call a tease. 
we're going to bring it back. I, I think two weeks from now we get together. So stay tuned. We, yes, you just listen to 90 minutes and we're going to make you download another one in a couple weeks, <laughs> but it'll be worth it. Trust me. It, it'll be worth listening to. So with that, that was our, uh, that was our big 10. It wasn't our top 10. It was our big 10 uh, stories that, uh, that I think we're going to be talking about over the course of the next four months. Really good discussion as always good to, uh, to touch base with you here on the show, big Jed. Um, you want to close us out? Yeah, man. Um, definitely uh, was a good show full of important topics for what matters the most in, in our style of racing. So, um, you know, hopefully these discussions, not because it's you and I, Luke, but just because it's it's on an open forum in a, in a setting where a lot of people can hear this type of discussion, hopefully it impacts the sport positively. And, you know, we we certainly don't, um, we're not so quick to, to judge because we talked about, you know, promoters. We talked about cheating devices. We talked about a lot of things that people are very uh, opinionative about, but hopefully the way we present the information impacts the sport positively and, and we help people get a perspective on these things that maybe they didn't get on their own or that they haven't thought about. Uh, so, you know, it helps them understand that everything's not the way it looks sometimes. So don't be, don't be quick to judge promoters and, and racers that sometimes you think you heard something about just uh, give them the benefit of the doubt and let's, let's impact this sport in a positive way and continue to see it grow and do great things. Cause while we're a relatively small community, especially on the bracket racing side, you know, the, when you go to the grocery store, you're the only one in there that has any idea that this even exists. So that kind of puts in perspective how small a group we are. This is something special right now, people. I mean, we are, we're, it's going to be two times this year. Racers can race for a million dollars. And one of them was over that. I mean, that doesn't happen in any form of racing, not NASCAR, not Indy, not any of that. So uh, you know, this is unbelievable what's happening in our sport right now. So let's stay positive and, and keep this trending forward. I don't know where it, all it can go from here or how much more we can do, but if we can't do any more, let's just keep doing what we're doing and it'll be awesome. So uh, hopefully the, the podcast helps people get a perspective on that and, and go with that mindset. But Luke, with my, my ending gas bag there, that does wrap us up. Uh, this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is coming to a close. I want to thank uh, the great sponsors that we have that help bring the show to people. certainly want you to look to them for their products and services anytime that you get the opportunity. And um, I'm not sure you've been keeping up with shouts, Luke, but I'm going to throw it back to you for shouts. I feel like I know at least one that's going to get in there if you got them, but you have anything on the list? It's a short list, but it's a good list. Yeah. Shout good. to the Young Guns. Shouts to the Hasbins. Yeah. To Derek Elam and Pintos everywhere. And lower half of the alphabet stock eliminator cars everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Shouts to yeah. the amphibious one. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm still that's probably been the, 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 the one thing in all that we've talked about that I'm still trying to digest is Scotty Albrecht going from either side 
the bowling alley. So shouts to Scotty, sneaky good bowler. Shouts to Jeremy Jensen, another sneaky good bowler. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, double J. Yeah, two guys you don't want to run into in the water box, and you certainly don't want to run into at the bowling alley. Uh, and yeah. Last but not least. powder in that right hand, be, be careful. <laughs> or left. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> last but not least, we will finish this show where we started this show. Shouts to the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Cole Castile. You the man, Cole. Way to wrap us up. Great list of shouts, Luke. Well done. And um, we appreciate everybody listening this long, both of you. Uh, this uh, this is done. Luke and I certainly want you to reach out to us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Tell us what you loved, what you hated, what you'd love to hear some more of, or any ideas for top fives. Just reach out to us and let us know you're listening. We're very sensitive, and we need people telling us that you heard what we said and that you got some kind of comment on it. it makes us feel more gooder. You didn't think I was going to get more gooder in there, did you? But I did. And uh, certainly, if you're uh, if you're the Twitter kind, reach out to us on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Would love to hear from you there as well. Keep up with us. We'll be back soon to talk to you about the important topics in sportsman drag racing results and so much more. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Com. Edgewater Sports Park is under new management. Dick Winley owned Edgewater for 40-plus years. His sons have decided to save the track from becoming a gravel pit after Dick's passing, and they have invested big bucks into facility upgrades. There's a brand-new AccuTime timing system in 2020. True Start is in effect. They have updated restrooms this year. They've got new burnout boxes, new concrete from the 660 to the quarter mile in the shutdown area. Concession stand has been overhauled and offers a broader menu. Overall facility facelift, speakers fixed, finish line scoreboards replaced, buildings painted, return roads been paved, staging lane lines, etc. All that painting has been done here in 2020. So Edgewater is back. Check out all of the above improvements, August the 21st through August the 23rd. And that's Saturday and Sunday. We'll be paying $12,500 to the winner. Huge purse on their welcome back. Now, door cars, dragsters, and no box will be run separate as long as possible. So find your way 
to Edgewater Sports Park August 21st through August 23rd and go enjoy the Dick Winley Memorial at the new and improved Edgewater Sports Park. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>